snow. Are in the snow. Ah, sorry about that, but uh, that song's going out to my son and his friend who are on their way out to go camping now. Uh, yeah, great weekend for camping, guys. <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> I'm glad it's not me. Oh, I remember days of doing stupid stuff like that, and we always had good times, and I'm sure they will, too, but I'll be at home sitting in front of a nice fireplace tonight and watching the snow fall outside. They could be doing their thing. Okay, uh, you know, I did want to start the show with uh, make sure that you remember to turn your clocks back this evening. Uh, yes, tonight is the night when we change that time. And, you know, I never understood. There is, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to have everybody whining. It's going to be on all the talk shows in the morning. It's going to be on social media all over the place. How we need to change this and... Do away with daylight savings time and the whole nine yards and because it makes people suffer horribly. You know, Terry pointed something out this morning, and she is 100% right. It's the same thing as one hour of jet lag. You know, if you fly from west to east for a vacation, and you don't even notice it. It's all in your head. No, if you're flying, you know, across uh, from coast to coast, then you might notice a little bit of jet lag. But, uh, you know, it's one hour. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it makes, you know, the kids are off for a little while going to bed and, uh, you know, while uh, waking up and the babies stay on their schedules and stuff like that, where our schedules change. And even your pets, you know, you always hear, don't forget about your pets. They don't understand daylight savings time. You know, if my dog ate at the same time every day, he'd freak. I mean, he is not that regulated. And, uh, you know, animals don't care. Wild animals don't get fed, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock at night, and, you know, whatever the heck. But, uh... Uh, if it bothers you that much, just pretend that you flew to, on a plane to Florida, Disney World, and you're on vacation. That's all I got to say about it. It's not that big of an issue. And, you know, another thing that never fails to amaze me, uh, and this I experienced this past week, we live in Wisconsin, and, you know, the winters here sometimes last half a year almost. And almost every time there's a snowstorm forecasted, the grocery store parking lots fill up from stem to stern, and people go nuts purchasing supplies to last them a month. You know, when you come to think about it, there I can't remember the last time that we had a snowstorm that made the roads impossible for seven hours, let alone a week, you know, seven days to a week. Uh, and this past week's storm was no different. I mean, the lines over at Woodman's were insane. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not making fun of Wisconsinites here. You know, people back in New York did the exact same thing. But I just think it's funny when I see it happening. Uh, it's not like, you know, the olden days where people are getting snowed in. We're out in California where 
I used to get in, uh, so much snow. And, wow, I never thought I'd feel sorry for a Californian before, but I do now because some of those poor folks up there are seriously socked in. And, you know, that's what a lot of the people around here act like, you know, is coming, and it's not the end of the world. But uh, there is something that's out there that is kind of ominous, and I wanted to talk about it today. And I actually received something in the mail about this from uh, the DNR. And uh, it appears that they're going to be combating the gypsy moths in our area again. Uh, I'm sorry, they're not called gypsy moths anymore. The woke government officials are afraid of insulting and or offending an insect now. So they're not calling them gypsies. Now they're called uh, uh, spongy moths or something like that. Some stupid name. But they're gypsy moths. But uh, these insects are something that I did encounter back in New York as well, and they hit back in the early 70s. And these guys here are nothing to take lightly. I mean, you think the uh, emerald ash borer taking out the ash trees was bad? They can't hold a candle to the gypsy moths, and you do not want these things getting a foothold out here. Uh, the the insect was single-handedly responsible for the devastation of tens to thousands of acres of trees, and not just one type. Uh, I mean, they would take out oaks, uh, birches, hickories. Uh, they didn't hit maple trees for some reason, but uh, elms, uh, you, pretty much everything else across the board. There were very, very few trees that they didn't hit. Uh, and the devastation that they caused was just insane. Imagine you're sitting outside your house and you're, you know, a nice, clear, sunny, you know, summer day and not a cloud in the sky and you're about 100 feet away from the woods that lead up uh, to the side of the driveway. And you hear what sounds like rain. But it's not possible it's rain because it's a clear, sunny day. So you shrug your shoulders and go back inside. Later you come out and uh, you take a walk out into the woods to dig up some worms uh, to go fishing, and it still sounds like it's raining. And you get out into the woods, and, yeah, it, it sounds like it's pouring out in the woods. And, you know, you get your worms and uh, go out fishing. And uh, later that night when you come back to the house and you're taking a shower and you're washing your hair, you notice the water that's going down the drain is green. And I don't mean light green, I mean dark green. And that is because the sound that you were hearing was actually, it was two things. You could, there were so many of these uh, worms up in the uh, canopies of the trees that you could hear them chewing at ground level. And, uh, this, like I said, it was made up of, uh, two things, and not to sound gross, but their frass, or their, uh, poop, which was little hard pellets that were colored with chlorophyll from the leaves, so they were green. Uh, they were like little tiny grains of sand that were falling out of the, uh, trees. And they get stuck in your hair, and you go and you wash them out that evening, and the water would literally turn dark emerald green. And uh, it was 
because you got a million caterpillars up over your head if you're, you know, out in the woods. And uh, the gypsy moths are a little bit, uh, you got to understand how they do the damage in order to combat them. The moths themselves do not damage the tree, other than uh, the females laying their egg casings on the side of the trees, which doesn't really do any true harm. Uh, all the damage occurs while they're in the caterpillar stage. And uh, you know, when they get around to uh, the females laying the eggs, it is aesthetically unpleasing to the eye. And, yeah, they're going to hatch into a lot more caterpillars, but uh, the adults don't really do any damage. They don't really have any feeding parts to their mouths as far as uh, chewing on the leaves and stuff like that go. So at least when they're in that stage, you don't have to worry about them. But uh, that's also the stage that we would go ahead and uh, work at them uh, with. At first... When they first started attacking, there was only one effective way to uh, combat this issue. And this was only good for homeowners uh, because it was impossible to do on a large scale type of a uh, operation. And that was a product called Tanglefoot. And Tanglefoot came in like a paint can, I guess, the best way to put it. And you would apply it with a putty knife and uh, you would make a stripe around the tree itself. And you do this at about waist high or so. And you make about an 8 to a 10 inch wide stripe around, uh, going all the way around the trunk of the tree. And this acted as like a flypaper. And the caterpillars, which would go from tree to tree, would get stuck as they would uh, go up over the uh, tanglefoot. And that's where they would stay at. And they wouldn't be able to get up to the tops of the trees and do any damage. And that was really the only way that we had to protect the trees. Um, And if, you know, the egg cases were laid higher than uh, that, you know, that we were applying the stuff, then you weren't really protecting them at all. But usually by putting it at about waist to shoulder uh, height, you were pretty close at saving the tree. Now, back during that time, and again, I said this is, happening during the 70s. The country was still reeling from the DDT witch hunt that happened in the 60s. So blasting away with insecticides was not going to be acceptable by the masses. So the powers that be, or in this case that were, had to come up with uh, new and more creative ways to combat this insect problem and quick. Because like I said, they took out uh, hundreds of thousands of acres of trees all up and down the eastern seaboard. And uh, when I say take out, I'm not talking about just defoliating for a season. Uh, to, they started out, and they were around for about three years before uh, they were able to find an effective way of combating these things. And they did a lot of damage. Put it like this, firewood was really cheap. But uh, we'll come back to talk about what the uh, DNR did back then, and that's still pretty much the same thing that they're doing now, believe it or not. Uh, When we come back, but we got to take care of a little bit of business, and uh, we'll be back here in just a couple of minutes. If you've got a question about anything that's green or growing, 
go ahead and give us a call. Shoot me a text. number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914, and we will be right back. Uh, now, as I was saying, uh, the DNR had to come up with uh, some pretty quick and innovative ways of dealing with these insects because they couldn't go out there and just blast away with insecticides anymore uh, like they did for the mosquitoes with DDT. Uh, even though we know now that that did not cause the problems and everything that they're freaking out about, it gave the country a really bad taste in their mouths about, uh, you know, the use of insecticides. And they actually snuck this uh, attack without people even knowing that it was going on. And this is... I don't know if it was the first, but it probably one of the first times that biological warfare was used within the United States. And uh, except it wasn't geared towards people, it was geared towards the insects. And there was a fungi that was discovered that had no effects whatsoever on humans, but it wound up killing these critters in the cocoon stage. And what they did is they uh, had to come up with a way of spreading this around, this uh, fungus around. So they uh, farmed the fungus, uh, and they did it on uh, ground-up twigs and little tiny pieces of twigs and, uh, you know, uh, tree litter. And they allowed the fungus to grow on that. And then they flew over areas and dusted the areas as if they were crop dusting, except they were dropping it from a much greater height because they didn't want anybody to know what in the heck they were doing. And because, you know, people were afraid of uh, anything, you know, going along those routes. So they wanted to keep it hush-hush. And nobody knew what was going on. And... All of a sudden, the next uh, year, all there were no more gypsy moth uh, caterpillars. They all died in their cocoons. Uh, there were no more moths, no more caterpillars. It was great. Uh, we were left with a bunch of stinking, rotting cocoons that were all over the place, but that was a lot better than uh, you know having the damage done by them. And that was the first step they took in uh, going after these things. And from what I understand, they still utilize this uh, type of an attack. Uh, that's one. They've got primarily three methods now that they uh, use, and this is one of them. And it does a really good job. And, again, it is has no side effects to humans at all. Uh, it attacks something that the insects have that humans don't even have. So we have no worries. And it's not like a black mold or, you know, something, a poison like that. Now, the other thing is, and this one I just think is downright mean, it, they developed a pheromone which fooled the male insects to thinking there were females in a certain area. So all the males would flock to these areas. But alas, they would only find each other. And, I mean, that's just... I understand why they did it. Yeah, they did need to do it, but that's mean. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. But it was very effective, 
and uh, it would actually draw all the male uh, moths to one area because, I mean, anybody that's used uh, bag of bugs or anything like that for the Japanese beetles know that these pheromone things work, and they work good. And uh, basically it left a bunch of extremely uh, needy female gypsy moths and over, you know, like on one side of the county and uh, over on the other side of the county were all the males uh, looking for all these needy females, and they couldn't find any. And uh, so the population died away, and that's another very effective way of uh, dealing with it, and they still use that one. And the third and last is an insecticide that they're using, <clears throat> Excuse me. And this one here, again, it does not bother humans at all. So don't get freaked out about this when you hear about them uh, flying over and spraying this stuff. It, this stuff here uh, inhibits the insects from turning off the hormone that stopped them from molting. Uh, you know, an insect goes through various stages of... Uh, know, uh, growth uh, when they're uh, younger, and they have different instars, and they would molt uh, each time and, you know, molt their skin because they'd have an exoskeleton, and then, you know, they would grow a new one. And this stopped the hormone that stopped them from molting. So they would basically shed themselves to death, which sounds kind of really gross, but it is very effective. And it was a great way of dealing with them. Now, these are three means of dealing with the uh, insects uh, that are not, you know, your common spraying of insecticides. You know, are there insecticides out there that will work on these things? Without a doubt. And they would be very effective. Malathion would knock these things out. If they read the bottle of Malathion, they'd die. Uh, they're very, they will succumb easily to other means of, uh, you know, insecticides, but they're not needed. The DNR is going to uh, do a really good job with this stuff. Now, uh, granted, it does not sound nice, but, hey, the alternatives uh, are not all that nice either. So, you know, it's a pretty good thing to save the forests. And... When I was speaking about the, what happened, uh, you know, with the showers and them devastating hundreds of thousands of acres of trees and such, I'm not exaggerating. I posted some pictures on uh, the Plant Doctor of Lacrosse Facebook account. Uh, of uh, one of the pictures shows uh, it's looking out over the mountains of New York and or the hills of New York and. Uh, it shows the countryside, and you've got to keep in mind, this is not during the fall or the winter. You can see some of the uh, types of trees that were not affected are nice and green, while I'd say a good 90% of the uh, forests were bare. And it stayed like that for a few years, and that's all it took to wind up killing all these trees. So when I say that the gypsy moth or spongy moth or whatever you want to call it, is much more dangerous than the emerald ash borer. I'm not joking. And it is in the area, and uh, they do need to combat it. 
And the DNR is going to, uh, they, if you go to uh, the Wisconsin DNR site, you can follow some links that they have there online. I also uh, posted a link to it on Facebook. Uh, they will be answering questions about what they're going to be doing and everything else, if you want to get a little bit more of an understanding. But, uh, yeah, that's going to take care of the first half of the show. If you got a question about anything that's green or growing, please feel free. Go ahead and give me a call. Number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914, and uh, we'll be right back after the news and a little bit of business. And we are back here at 1410 WYZM, the Plant Doctor Show. If you've got a question about anything that's green or growing, yeah, I know it's kind of hard to think ahead about the, uh, you know, spring and gardening and such like that when we had... Uh, some inches of snow a couple of days ago, and it looks like they're calling for more tonight, to this afternoon and tonight. But, yes, yeah, spring is coming around, and it's coming around quick. Uh, here, hang on for one second. I've got my countdown calendar right here somewhere. Uh, there it is. Let's open that up. And spring is in exactly 8 days, 12 hours, and 26 minutes away. So it's not that far out. So, uh, hey, it's coming. And if you've got a question about anything that's green or growing, it could be about your house plants. Uh, you're thinking ahead about putting the garden in and wondering how, or maybe you've got some lawn damage that you're wanting to uh, fix and wanting to know when or what the best way of uh, dealing with it is. Give me a call, shoot me a text. The number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914. Okay, off on a different note, and this is always a fun one that I like talking about. And if anybody knows me personally, they know that we're uh, living with uh, Terry's mom right now. Uh, we're all moved in together into a new uh, house. And you know, the, the issues of medications and stuff like that come up. Uh, for all of us, uh, between me, Terry, and her mom, you know, we're getting up there in years, and uh, medications become a necessity. And it makes you start thinking, you know, as you're walking down the aisles of uh, your dr local drugstore, grocery store, and you're seeing all these, you know, brightly colored bo bottles and boxes. The contents are designed to treat anything from, you know, whatever, uh, stomach aches to in, you know, toenail fungus and headaches and, you know, everything else. Uh, can you imagine them growing as flowers on the forest floor or as bark cut from one of its trees? And a lot of her medications actually come from plants. And a lot of people don't realize that. You know, granted, nowadays they might be uh, synthetically produced, but still uh, the chemicals that they're making, uh, even though artificially, are the same compounds that came from natural plants from where they were discovered. So I figured we could talk about that for a little bit. That is, unless, of course, anybody else has another question about anything green or growing. And again, the number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914. Now, uh, 
the uses of plants and herbs and medicine from the past and today, I do want to make one thing clear. I do not suggest that anybody go out there and start whittling bark off a tree and making a tea out of this stuff and saving some money from going to the doctor. This is entertainment, and that's it. Uh, entertainment and a little bit of trivial knowledge is a wonderful thing, but I'm not suggesting that people actually utilize uh, these methods. Please don't misunderstand that. Now, when as a child, my father had this set of books, and they were amazing. They were really thick uh, paperbacks, and they were called the Foxfire books. And if you can uh, order them online, I would highly recommend them. And uh, I spent many a cold winter day sitting back reading them. And they were basically a collection of stories from Appalachia. Uh, they were stories of the families dealing with the different aspects of their lives, from building cabins with very primitive tools to raising animals and crops and uh, home remedies for both the family members and the animals themselves, which played such an important role in their lives. And these things were well, these books were well written, and I highly recommend them if you can uh, still find them anywhere. Now, before delving into some of these wonderful cures, once again, I do want you to realize I'm not promoting the use of these plants, so please don't uh, go trying it. And in some cases, it could actually wind up hurting you, too. So please do not do that. Uh, but we do have one caller coming in, so we're going to go ahead and jump over to the phone lines. We also have two open ones, too, at 608-785-7914. Good morning. You're on the Plant Doctor Show. Who's this? This is Bill. Hey, Bill. How's it going? Good. And yourself? Ah, fantastic. What can I do for you? Awesome. Quick question. As far as for trees being planted, you know, by the city out in the boulevard, mm -hmm. you know, those tree uh, fertilizer spikes, do they work? And to what extent, I mean, how how old, you know, the trees have been planted for a while. I mean, if they're effective, how, how long are they effective till? I mean, mm -hmm. as far as for if you can put them in the ground when they're a year old, you know, 20 years old, does it, does it make a difference? Okay. Okay. Uh... Not so much of a difference. Uh, now, tree spikes are effective. They're a great way of fertilizing trees uh, because the method that you use uh, for feeding the tree, uh, basically, which is you take a pipe and you bang it down to the ground, then you, uh, you know, set the spike in and you tap, lightly tap that down below the uh, grass layer. So you're not going to be affecting the roots of the grass with the fertilizer that much. You make it a little bit of a residue right around the, the initial hole, but generally uh, the spikes are going to be deep enough to where it's not going to bother your lawn, so you're not going to have all these nice dark green circles, number one. Uh, they're an effective way of uh, treating a tree. Now, boulevard trees are a little bit different, though. Because the proper way of using the uh, fertilizer spikes is a smaller tree, you know, the one that's just a couple of years old. I would generally uh, put one, uh, I'd put about four of them in the ground, and you would put them at about the drip line of the tree. And that goes for the bigger trees as well, but you use uh, a lot more in that case. 
Uh, with a small tree, I uh, put them out at the drip line of the tree, so that's going to mean that you're going to be getting about four of them. So just say you pop them in the ground, you know, north, east, west, and south. Now, on a boulevard tree, you've got a couple things going against you, the sidewalk and the road. So you're not going to be able to get them all, you know, surrounding the tree. So uh, what you're going to want to do is put them where you can. And, uh, you know, as a tree grows up and its drip line drifts over the uh, sidewalk, well, the roots are doing the same thing underneath the ground. So you can go ahead and, you know, once the drip line moves over the sidewalk, you can start popping the uh, fertilizer stakes into the ground at that point. Uh, but otherwise, I would just keep them, uh, you know, front and back of the tree on the uh, boulevard, and, you know, it'll still uh, do give it some good. You do not want to uh, put down any type of fertilizer uh, in the case of a tree for about six weeks after you plant it. Uh, the reason being the uh, trees, you know, the roots are cut and they're uh, fresh, and the salts and the fertilizer will cauterize those roots shut and it'll stop them from uh, growing, which is not a good thing. So uh, you want to allow them uh, to grow at that point. At that point, you can give them some, sprinkle some uh, potash, uh, bone meal, something along those, you know, that line around the uh, base of the tree and out to the drip line, water it in, and that will encourage root growth. But after about six weeks is when you can start fertilizing them. Time to fertilize them is in the spring. If you do it in the fall, unless they're 100% slow release, which most of the tree stakes are not, uh, it's akin to giving a kid a bunch, you know, a big slab of chocolate cake right before going to bed. Uh, you don't do that because you don't want the kid getting wired. And by feeding a tree, when it's supposed to be going dormant, you're doing the exact same thing. And uh, that's actually how acid rain wound up killing uh, big areas of uh, forest southeast. Uh, it wasn't, a lot of people thought the acid part of the acid rain was eating the leaves off, but it was actually not that. It was fertilizing the trees at the wrong time of the year. And with the fall rains, the trees were absorbing it, and all of a sudden when they're supposed to be going dormant, they start pushing out new lush growth, and they get hit by the winter uh, cold, and that wound up killing them. So, uh, yeah, timing is important. Uh, like I said, uh, do it in the springtime. And uh, you want to get it down to the root area of the tree. So on a small tree, you're going down to about, oh, I'd say at least a foot below the soil. On a larger tree, you can go down about two feet if you wish. Uh it's still going to get down there, but, you know, the quicker it gets to it, uh, you know, the more good it's going to do. So the deeper you put it on a larger tree, you know, the better. But uh, on a small tree, about a foot below, that should uh, keep it below the uh, lawn, so it's not going to affect that. But, uh, you know, right in that same area as the tree, and you should be good to go. Okay. Then as far as for, you know, if you because the trees are about 15 years old, okay? Okay. Um, as far as wards and knocking them down a couple of feet below the surface, mm -hmm. I suppose you take a, a little bit of a risk of hitting some roots or... If you start hitting roots, you're in the right area. Okay. okay. Now, granted, some trees are going to root 
they're going to be running right underneath the surface. And uh, those are the anchor roots for a tree. Uh, they're the ones that reach out like fingers going down into the sand, you know, wet sand. They're going to be going out and, gra- you know, grasping downwards. And uh, those are not really the feeder roots. The feeder roots are the capillaries, the little tiny ones. And uh, they're going to be down below that. But, you know, if you're hitting a lot of uh, the harder roots, that's where the capillaries are coming from anyhow. So, you know, if you can only go down a few inches, hey, you know, that's all you can do. uh, Watering, uh, you know, rain and such, it's going to get the fertilizer down to where it's needed eventually. Okay. yeah, I wouldn't worry about that. The main idea, though, about going deep is to get it, you know, far enough away from uh, the roots of your lawn so it's not creating dark green circles. Got it. Okay. All right. Yep, sounds good. Appreciate it. Okay. Good luck with that, Bill. Yep, thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. And, yeah, uh, fertilizing your trees uh, with these stakes is very good. Uh, I should have also mentioned to him, hopefully he's still listening, that, you know, depending on the types of trees, they have different types of fertilizer. They have uh, primarily two types, one for conifers and one for uh, your regular uh, deciduous trees, uh, evergreens or, you know, uh, you know your regular leafy-type trees. And evergreens that require li- you know, have their needs are a little bit different. They like a little bit higher in the acid area and such. But, uh, yeah, all the trees will uh, definitely benefit from uh, feeding them. Uh, and let's face it, boulevard trees have so much going against them anyhow. You know, they've got the compact ground of the road. Uh, they've got the sidewalk right there, the limited uh, area for them to grow roots. So, yeah, any feeding for them is definitely going to be appreciated by the tree, no doubt about it. Okay, let's see. Uh, now, uh we're talking about uh, some of the old world cures. And, you know, some of these things go back to the very beginnings of, it is the very beginnings of medicine itself. You know, 3,700 years ago, uh, or actually 3,700 B.C., uh, Egypt, uh, followed by the Chinese, later by the Greeks and the Romans, all the way out to the uh, early frontier days of our country, where, you know, the vast majority of the settlers in our area were cut off from any kind of formal medicine. And uh, competent physicians uh, were way out of reach. So, uh, you know, that large segment of the population had to rely on uh, finding other means of getting over illnesses. And that's where the folk medicine and uh, homeopathic remedies and stuff like that come from. Now, for anybody that thinks that this is better than the actual medicines that we have today, I've got one word for you. Crazy. If you think about it, it, you hear all these people say, well, it must have been good. The ancient Chinese used it. Well, it must have been good. The Indians used it. It must have been good. You know, their early people used it. Yeah, lifespan back then was like 18, 30 years old was an old person. Uh, (laughs) Lifespans today are a lot longer than they used to be. So, you know, and again, that was also 
due to the fact that they weren't getting the stuff in the exact dosages that were needed today, that we know that were needed uh, today. Uh, you, you take a bunch of uh, willow bark, and this is one that a lot of people don't realize, aspirin is derived from the willow trees. Uh, you can take willow bark in a pinch and uh, scrape it from the tree, get the cambrium layer, uh, make it into a tea. Trust me, I've done this. It tastes like crap. It is horrible tasting. But this stuff will cut through a fever and infection super, super quick. It really strengthens your body, and it's one of the things that's uh, taught you in survival training. Uh, willow bark uh, tea is necessity out there, and that's where aspirin comes from. But you know the dose. You know you're not getting the right dosage. You're getting a bunch of it, and uh, your body's going to uh, have to deal with the rest. You know everything that's not needed. Where you know the uh, modern day, you go to uh, the store and buy a box of Bayer aspirin. And it already comes pre-dosed. You know, you can get the uh, little tiny uh, 81 milligram baby aspirin up to what's it, 325 uh, gram. Uh, you know, adult doses. If you get too much aspirin, it could kill you. So you need to be really careful with this stuff. But the uh, active ingredient to aspirin, uh, salicylic acid, is it comes from willow trees. And uh, there's other uh, remedies out there as well. Uh, <laughs> one of the common beliefs to uh, the woodsman was the more obnoxious and distasteful the stuff was, the more effective the remedy uh, would be. And, you know, in many cases, they were right. <laughs> but we're going to have to take a break here and take care of a little bit of uh, new, or, you know, a little bit of a, uh, business, uh, some weather, but we'll be right back here at 1410 WYZM in just a minute. we still got more than enough time to answer a question or two. Uh, give me a call now. Shoot me a text. The number down here at WISM is 608-785-7914, and we will be right back. Uh, we got four minutes left to the show, enough time to squeeze in one quick question. If somebody has one, 608-785-7914. And... Uh, uh, really quickly, uh, some of the other plants that they used to use uh, for uh, meds out there, you know, back in the good old days, sassafras, catnip, whorehound, and penny royal were all brewed into teas to treat uh, coughs and colds. Uh, as also uh, cherry uh, bark as well. Uh, a lot of times they still use cherry in uh the uh, cough drops, and there's a reason for that because there's a chemical in that that actually does help. It's not just a flavoring. But we got one caller and about three minutes left. Uh, good morning. Go straight to your question, please. Yeah, my wife read um, mums help deter Asian beetles from around the house. I was wondering if I plant them around if it may help in the fall. They loved mine, very honestly. Uh, the Asian beetles, no, it's not going to do a bit of good. Uh Actually, they uh, they will land on the uh, mums, and they will take care of any insect problems that you have on the mums, uh, but it's not going to keep them away from your house, very honestly. Uh, 
about the best thing that you can do to keep them away is a uh, insecticide treatment. Uh, you can either do it yourself with something like Ortho's Home Defense, uh, which is a uh, spray. It comes in a pre-mix uh, that you can, you know, just spray uh, on the house. Uh, you go up and down the sides of the house. Make sure you get all areas, uh, any entranceways, uh, windowsills, anything like that you want to hit, and any place where they're going to crawl. And you want to go from the ground to about four feet up, and then you want to go about four feet out into the ground as well. And that way there, it'll help also knock out a lot of the uh, box elder bugs. But, uh, and, or you can, you know, pay on to one of the lawn care companies. I know a lot of them have uh, the PICS, which is stands for Perimeter in- Insect Control. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're just doing it with a different chemical. But the uh, ortho stuff uh, would wind up being cheaper for you, and uh, it works just as well, to be honest with you. Okay. Thanks. Okay, you have a good day. And that's going to pretty much bring us to the end of the show. Uh, we might be able to get back to talking about uh, you know, these uh, medicines and stuff next week. I always enjoy talking about that on the uh, show. It's a fun uh, subject and a really interesting one, too. But, you know, as always, uh, if you got a question during the week, you can go ahead and uh, shoot me a text uh, here at the station. Or, I'm not. Shoot me a uh, question on Facebook and I'll get back to you. Uh, we'll be back here next week at 1410 WYZM and Remember, anybody can have a green thumb. All you need is a can of paint.